0: Farhad Amami, commonly known as Freddie, was born in Iran in 1944 and moved to England with his wife in 1978. He first met Sheila Caffell, the sister of Jeremy Bamber, at a friend's party in 1981, where they struck up a friendship. Freddie immediately realised that Sheila was vulnerable and in some respect took her under his wing and was protective of her. In his evidence to the police, Freddie made it clear that there was never any romantic involvement between himself and Sheila, and that their relationship was simply one of friendship and that they enjoyed each other's company. Freddie helped Sheila in a number of ways, and after her divorce, he assisted her with her move from Hampstead to Maida Vale and he helped her redecorate. Freddie also babysat for her children. Nicholas and Daniel, on a number of occasions. He was a friend who Sheila confided in and she often discussed all her fears, worries and concerns with him. They would talk through her problems and he offered support, although it is believed to have been Freddie who introduced Sheila to cocaine, but it is documented that she smoked cannabis before she met him. Jeremy Bamber remembers that Freddie was a kind and gentle man who appeared sweet and understanding and compassionate towards Sheila, even though they shared a drug habit together. It was also Freddie who encouraged Sheila in her search for her birth mother, and shared in her excitement at the planned meeting due to take place in nineteen eighty-five. However, a matter of days prior to the much-anticipated visit, Sheila once again. Had an extremely serious psychotic episode, which resulted in her being readmitted to St Andrew's Hospital in Northampton. Freddie was present at the time and described this disturbing and frightening psychotic episode in a witness statement. Freddie would have testified in court about Sheila's mental health and her capacity for violence. He had witnessed several of Sheila's outbursts and her inability to cope and could have spoken of his first-hand experience of how her illness and outbursts affected her life and judgment on a daily basis. However, he was not requested to attend the trial, and his witness statement was not read to the jury. And when the defence solicitor tried to trace him, they received word that he had left the country. Here's what the jury would have heard if the statement had been read and one can imagine an even greater impact if he had testified in court.
1: About four years ago I met Sheila Caffell. At this time she was living in a basement flat at Hampstead with her two sons. We met at a party which was thrown by a mutual friend and got unwell together purely as friends. We enjoyed each other's company and I believe Sheila needed someone to talk to when a decision needed to be made. From the first time I met her she struck me as being a little slow, unable to grasp simple things, and the sort of person who relied on others to make decisions. She would bring her problems to me, and we would discuss them. These problems were mainly family or money worries. I would say I have never been Sheila's boyfriend, more a confidant, someone she could burden her problems with. Sometime after our relationship started, I met Sheila's father and stepmother. We got on very well. Father expressed concern over Sheila's flat and its conditions. They were damp, and asked if I could help her to find a new flat. I agreed, and eventually found for her her present flat in Morrishead Mansions, made a Vale. Both I and her former husband, Colin, who I know helped her to move in. She appeared to be very happy, as did the children. In fact, the only person who was not happy was Colin, who had told her he was worried in case she could not afford to run the flat. During this time I would see Sheila occasionally, certainly not every day, it was normally when she had a problem to be discussed. Sheila worried over the smallest of problems, and it is within my knowledge that before the birth of her son she was petrified that she could not have children. She also had a deep dislike of her stepmother who apparently kept quoting religion at her. This would upset Sheila and annoy her. I would say that Sheila had a very quick and violent temper which she would lose over the simplest of things although I have never seen her use physical violence towards anyone. About nine or ten months ago, Sheila changed. She became extremely depressed and withdrew into herself. She would not discuss all her problems, although whenever she visited her father, she would return even more depressed because of her stepmother. Apparently, the stepmother would preach to her about her boyfriends and how it was wrong that she should make love with them and that Sheila should always remember God. She gradually deteriorated until about three weeks before her first breakdown. Nicholas fell out of a taxi when she was returning home from her parents. She blamed herself for this because she was not concentrating on what the children were doing, only on her mother's religious rantings. It was shortly after this that she had her first breakdown. I feel certain that she had been building up to this for some time and that the accident was the final straw. Her parents arranged for a Dr. Ferguson from Harley Street, London to treat her, and she was admitted to hospital. She spent about three months receiving treatment, during which time I did not see her. Shortly before she came out of hospital, she telephoned me. She told me that although she counted me as a good friend, in order for her to get back on her own feet, she felt that we should not contact each other, as she would burden me with problems that she should work out for herself. She felt she should have a period where she sorted out her own worries without help, and I respected this and did not have any form of contact. About a month after she came out of hospital, she telephoned me and told me she had a financial problem and could I call on her. I went to the flat a day or so after and gave her some money. She appeared well in herself, although you could see she had not completely recovered. After this, I bumped into her a couple of times in clubs in London. She was with friends, and apart from greeting each other, we hardly spoke. About four months ago, I called on Sheila at her flat at her suggestion. She appeared to me to be jumpy, uptight, and panicky, although I do not know what about. Whilst I was there, she telephoned Tara, a close friend. She was apologizing to Tara for a religious book that her stepmother had dropped off at Tara's house a couple of days previously. During the call, the phone went dead. Sheila suddenly became hysterical mumbling about the phone being bugged. She became like someone possessed, ranting and raving, she was striking herself and beating the wall with her fists. I tried to calm her, but she did not seem to hear me. I became extremely frightened, not only for her, but for myself. She kept talking about the devil and God, and stated that God was sitting opposite her, and unlike what her stepmother said, he in fact loved her. I contacted her ex-mother-in-law and asked her to come round. This aggravated the situation and Sheila became even more violent and abusive. Her mother-in-law called and found a prescription for Sheila's drugs and asked me to go get them for her. I went to the chemist and when I returned I was met at the front door by the mother-in-law who was leaving. She told me Sheila had kicked her out. I went in and tried to pacify Sheila, but was unable to do so. I I became extremely concerned for my own safety. I telephoned Sheila's doctor, and a short while later, one of her partners arrived. Sheila refused to let him examine her, shouting that he was trying to poison her. Now, by this time, she had become completely irrational. The doctor eventually left without being able to do anything. Myself being unable to do anything, I contacted another doctor who arrived shortly afterwards. Again, he was unable to do anything because Sheila would not allow him near her. He wrote a short note which he handed to me and asked me to hand it to Sheila's GP and gave her a stronger drug. Whilst the first doctor was there, Tara's husband called to collect his daughter who was staying with Sheila. I had arranged this as I felt something nasty might happen. I was extremely scared for everyone's safety. At that time, I felt Sheila may use violence towards someone. During the night, I contacted Sheila's father and informed him of the situation. He said he would call and collect her in the morning. I asked if he could make it sooner, but he could not. It eventually got to the stage when I could no longer handle the situation. Sheila was behaving like a person possessed, rambling about the devil and God. I went next door to her neighbor, who came through. Sheila sat down and combed or brushed her hair. She had a blank expression on her face and was staring into space. Every now and again, she would suddenly become violent again, ranting and raving, then stopping as quickly as it started when she combed her hair. This carried on until her father arrived in the morning and arranged for her admission into the hospital again. When her father came into the flat, Sheila became a different person. She spoke to her father in a calm and collected manner. I could not believe the change in the girl. I handed father the drugs which had been prescribed. Sheila spent about two months in hospital and when she came out I did not see her. I spoke to Tara who told me she was all right but not the same person. I am aware that she started going out and had a number of boyfriends. The children in this time were being looked after by her ex-husband Colin for the majority of the time and she had more free time for entertaining. I have visited Sheila on about ten occasions since she last came out of hospital. She was a completely different person, being very slow and deliberate in her speech and difficult to converse with. I have seen her once, socially, since. This was last Friday, 2nd August 1985. I had been invited to a party in the flats where Sheila lives. I had gone to Rag's nightclub with a friend when Sheila came in. She asked me if I was going to the party. We had a discussion, and a group of us went. We had a pleasant evening, during which time she told me she was going to another party on the Saturday night with her ex-husband, and that she was going to her parents' farm on the Sunday with the twins. I have not seen Sheila since I left the party. The first I knew about what has happened was when the reporters from the Daily Mail told me when I was at Sheila's flat checking it. She'd asked me to do this while she was away, as she was worried about it being burgled. I am extremely shocked about what has happened and find it difficult to believe. Had it just been her stepmother who had been killed, I could have accepted it, as she disliked her intensely, but to think she has killed her father and children is difficult to comprehend. I spoke to Sheila about the night of the second breakdown. She could not remember anything about it. I feel she believed I had made it up. I would add on that occasion she could not recognize anyone who came to the flat and that she believed everyone was trying to hurt or to kill her.